The Daily Rios, for Tuesday, September 8th, 2015. Happy Tuesday. And for those that had a three-day weekend, happy start of the new week. It was a busy weekend for me, so I only managed to get out four episodes last week. Huh? What? But you're supposed to be daily, and you already don't put out episodes on the weekend. So if you only put out four episodes, well, then you're not daily. Oh, hush you. And you know what? I'm busy this week, too. So who knows how many eps you're going to get. And I know in a couple weeks, I I start auditioning some shows that I'm directing. And with three days of episodes, three days of auditions running 10 to 5, I'm not sure how many episodes I'm going to get that week either, how many I'm going to get out. So anyway, Sunday was a really lazy day for me and my girlfriend, and we caught up on the last episode of Face Off. That's the special effects makeup artist series on sci-fi, the little game show, reality game show, and it's hosted by Mackenzie Westmore and her dad, Michael Westmore is often a consultant on the show to the contestants. This past weekend's, or this past week's episode was Star Trek related. Jonathan Frakes was on the show, Michael Dorn was a guest judge, and it was mentioned that Michael Westmore was a lead makeup designer for Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the last four Star Trek movies before the reboot. And I turned to Aaron and I said, that's why his name sounds so familiar. And it turns out, if you know anything about makeup artists in Hollywood and TV, apparently the Westmores are notorious and practically created the art form generations ago. It has quite a family tree, uh, quite uh, has a you know huge history, a lot of legacy. And it was just cool to make that realization that that's who Michael Westmore was, is. And that's why he's on the show and why he ha- he brings such gravitas, I guess you could say. So we finished that episode and we're scrolling around to find something else to watch. We have a ton of movies that we probably should watch, stuff that we haven't seen. So, of course, that means we watched three movies that we more or less have seen before. We watched uh, Star Trek, First Contact, Superman Returns, and Gross Point Blank. Now, obviously, that's the kind of movie-watching day that I'm attracted to. It's all full of geekery and goodness. So I picked Star Trek First Contact. I wasn't sure if she had seen it, but because it had just dawned on me, this whole Michael Westmore connection... I was in the mood, and it to, I guess, to watch it. And it was just starting from the beginning. So I said, sure, why not? And sure enough, there in the end credits, there's his name, isolated by itself. Uh, and uh, it just all makes sense why he's on Facebook, Face Off and why the name sounded familiar, blah, 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 blah. But what I wanted to talk about is Superman Returns. And oddly enough, speaking of the Westmore legacy, uh, I wanted to talk about legacy as well, because I had this fleeting thought about Superman Returns and um, and about what it means and or um, what it could have meant. And I want, to, I want to run it by you all just to see what you think of this. So we watched it because I think prior to Man of Steel, 
I wanted Aaron to watch Superman 1 and Superman 2, and then I wanted to watch Superman Returns, uh, kind of as a thematic sequel to the first two, just to get her ready for a new version of Superman. And uh, by the way, she's in total agreement with me. The long-standing debate about Superman 1 and Superman 2, she totally found too super campy and not especially good. And for those of you that don't know, there was this small ongoing debate over the years on CGS about which was better, Superman 1 or Superman 2. And I made the claim that if you preferred Superman 2 over 1, it was because you hadn't seen it since you were a kid, and you were most likely basing those assumptions off of nostalgia. So we wound up having a surprise episode on the topic, meaning that none of the other hosts knew what the topic was before I announced it at the top of the show. And we argued, and we debated, and we had listeners call in, and I was taking a vote count. And by the end of the episode, Superman 1 edged out Superman 2 by uh, a few votes, but enough to warrant that my supposition was correct. <laughs> uh, it raged on the forum for a long time after as well. Anyway, that was a tangent. So prior to Man of Steel, we never got to watch Superman Returns. So we watched it on Sunday. And I think midway through, she realized that she most likely had seen it before anyway, before we started dating probably. And it kept her attention. Uh, I didn't really pick her brain on what she thought of the movie overall, and of course, Brandon Ralph is now the Adam on Arrow and the Flash, and he's in Scott Pilgrim. Uh, we saw him on episodes of Chuck, whatever season that was. So it was just a really nice way to, again, make all this connection in various forms of geek movies and TVs. To my point, however, before I get too sidetracked and start talking about all these other things. As I'm watching the end of Superman Returns, and I'm watching him talk to his son at the end of the movie. By the way, she totally cried at that, and she also cried when the son kisses his head while he's laying comatose in the hospital. So, uh, I, Okay, so I'm watching the this last scene, and it suddenly hits me, about the possibilities of what a sequel would look like or what would have happened had this particular franchise taken off and been majorly successful. It was the line that he says, uh, the son becomes the father and the father the son and how the movie created a legacy, a character that could have joined the main hero or even replaced him. Then it put me in the mind frame of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies and how that trilogy was exactly that. Ending where the main hero passes on the legacy. And that one clearly was saying that had that franchise continued, there was going to be a new Batman. Superman Returns came out in 2006 the Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012. So Superman Returns actually beat Batman, uh, you know, the, the whole Dark Knight Rises ending by a number of years. Um, 
Obviously, Superman Returns was influenced by the original Richard Donner movies, but it was also writing the coattails of Batman Begins, the first Christopher Nolan movie, right? Batman Begins, Superman Returns, right? Little little thematic connection there. And then interesting to note that, uh, you know, with the whole passing on the legacy thing or just creating a new legacy, Superman Returns did beat Dark Knight Rises. So there's a point that I hadn't even really thought about. So anyway, uh, you know, if you take Superman 1 and 2 with Returns, there's your trilogy. And now connect that with Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. So these two trilogies lead into my thought and this has to do with the DC Cinematic Universe versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it boils down to how, had the money been there or the audience for Superman Returns in the way that it was for the Christopher Nolan Batman movies? And had they exploded, had they really exploded and taken hold of audiences back in 2006 and then Dark Knight Rise um the Dark Knight came out in 2008 so had there been this wave of success could they have done the whole legacy thing could they have replaced their main characters long before the discussion even came up regarding the Marvel movies so, okay, bear with me here. You have Superman's son. You have Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character in Dark Knight Rises. That's potentially, that's some progressive stuff going on there in the sense that not only are they creating a legacy, but there, there could potentially be no more Clark Kent, no more Bruce Wayne. Instead, we would have had Jason White and John Blake, creating legacies that aren't necessarily in the comics, things that are created specifically for the movies. Now, I know John Blake says his name is Robin. There's a connection to the comics there. Uh, having Bruce Wayne as a mentor to a new Batman is not new. You can connect that to Batman Beyond. We've certainly seen enough Sons of Superman in the comics as well. But that those franchises could have sparked something different, could have created a whole new roadmap before Marvel ever gave us any kind of roadmap. You know, I'm talking alternate worlds here, you know. Had these two franchises been blockbusters, bigger than even what, what the Batman Nolan movies were, you know, had Superman Returns been a huge hit and that one-two punch really might have been enough for DC to chart their own territory, chart their own path against the juggernaut that eventually became the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because Iron Man didn't come out to 20, 2008, right? So that's two years after Superman Returns. And even Iron Man didn't necessarily give us the true roadmap. I mean, it gave us hints, but we weren't sure then. I just want to know what world I can go to in the great orrery of 52 worlds. Which one can I go to where the DC Cinematic Universe is inspired by the Christopher Nolan Batman movies and Superman Returns had it been successful? 
In the past year, Marvel has been talking about replacing actors, and that's why some of the main characters in their movies have a best friend, usually black, or a love interest that can take up the role, right? You have Iron Man and War Machine, you have Captain America and Falcon, or Captain America and Winter Soldier, all established comic book characters. Uh, you know, we can point to a comic book and say, that's where that comes from, and that's where that character comes from. You know, we get an Agent Coulson every now and then uh, that's totally new and goes back into the comics, and it's certainly been in vogue in their comics to create multiple multiple versions of the same characters. I can see that translating into the movie soon enough. You know, it's certainly funny to read now about actors wanting to stay with the Marvel franchise, especially now that Kevin Feig has pulled away from under uh, Ike Pearl Pearl Muter, whatever his name is, uh, you know, he's running his own fiefdom now, and which means there's probably more money to slosh about, and suddenly actors are saying, oh, well, now I can re-bargain my contract, and I'll stay with Marvel for, you know, another 10 years, you know, until I'm too old to be doing these movies, but that's a little different, so I'm talking about concepts that are truly unique, you know, in the sense that comic book audiences have no prior knowledge to bring to the movie as they are watching it. Certainly when you're watching Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you can make assumptions about Nightwing and Dick Grayson and Tim Drake and Jason Todd, but the character itself is new. He has a new history, he's a policeman, he has a new origin. There's nothing in it that, that we can say, oh, I know exactly what he's going to do because we've never seen the character before. Same thing with Jason White. He's he's the son of Superman. How are they going to play it out? Uh, you know, the end of Superman Returns didn't even look like they were going to become a family. <laughs> so would he have grown up to be rebellious? Uh, you know, there's a lot of possibilities there. Not rehashes of storylines, but just new pathways. And I think that could have been fairly bold on their part had they had the support to run with it. Because look, movie execs go where the money goes and goes where the interest goes. Had that movie and those two trilogies meshed to form some kind of cohesive, amazing new Hollywood thing, the execs would have jumped all over it, you know? Now, some of it is spilled out to TV um, I'm not talking about just reaching out to other corners of the universe. You know, obviously, iZombie is very different. We had two magic shows, Constantine and Lucifer. Um, Flash is really just a thematic sequel to Arrow. Arrow, um, But it does create Legends of Tomorrow, which, again, not exactly a new concept, but they're taking characters from two franchises, mixing them, adding in new characters, and... Is it something, is there a comic you can point to and say, well, there's Legends of Tomorrow? I guess, maybe with 52. But even still, I'm going into that series going, I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, and then there's talk of a new NBC DC show about an insurance company set in the world of, of the DC universe and how it copes with living in a world full of super beings. It's going to be called Powerless. And the last information I found, it's a half-hour single comedy, single camera comedy, um, and it has at least a pilot production commitment. Uh, 
which means we may never see it, at least initially. But unless that pilot succeeds, it won't go to uh, a seasoned development, right? So who knows? That could stall before it even gets out of the gate. But at least it's still something new-ish, you know? And I just wonder. I, I really just wonder how far DC would have gone, uh, you know, had had Superman Returns been a mega blockbuster. You know, imagine a Wonder Woman movie where Diana inspires a whole team of young women to fight with her, and suddenly her movies become about a whole team of Amazons. Imagine a Justice League where it doesn't have Clark Kent or Bruce Wayne. This is all alternate reality wonderment, right? This is all that this is, but... There you go, an Elseworlds DC cinematic universe full of legacies and characters that we can't bring our preconceived notions to, that we can't bring our expectations to. Developing a cinematic universe as a way to create new franchises. Wow. What could have been? This has been The Daily Rios, episodes 311 for Tuesday, September 8th. Talk to you soon.